Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. says about secret and it did bother me timothy spall just says the theme at the end it's not the family that we grow up with and it upset me and i like and i i i I, it's like a bad enough that i might dock it a half star to four and a half really because of one line he literally is like we're all in pain all the time (laughs) oh but i thought you'd love that i mean that hammers the theme home yeah i didn't need it. blunt force i mean you know that's why i don't like the ending of tony erdman Oh, because they spell it drives out. it home. Yeah, they spell it out. I don't. They do they? I don't. I don't think that the last scene in Tony Erdman's is is as neat of a bow as people make it out to be. The fact that like they they have their little moment there, and he's like, "I just feel like like I'm getting older, and we gotta stay together because we're all we got. Like it's not our different. It's our differences that bring us close together. Uh, no, no. But then he's like, "I gotta go see about something," and then he just leaves her outside, and she like takes out the fake teeth. And then she's just there by herself, and right. like all of a sudden, panic sets in. So the lesson in Tony Erdman, like it, it's not a pat conclusion. The right. lesson ends up being how difficult it is to sustain our relationships, even yeah. even if they're vital. Life will always get in the way. She, like she she, she, she left the, cor- the she left corporate consulting. She got a new job, chill job, and mm-hmm. she's still just as anxious and unsure. Yeah, I still would but, end you know, on hugging the creature. I mean, that's hard to argue with. That's just, I think that's the I, ending of the when movie. I, saw I think that that's movie, a stronger I image. I thought it was going to end there. Yeah. And then there was one more scene. Brandon mm-hmm. and I saw Tony Erdman together. We did? Yeah. <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> and we had such a nice time. Wait. I w- we went to go oh. see Patterson. And then we had lunch, and then we saw Tony Erdman at the oh, New Art. It was the holiday. You bastard. Holiday 2016. Yeah. 17. Yes. But in the words of Andy McDowell in Shortcuts, you bastard! <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. I remember exactly where I was sitting for um, Tony Erdman at the... Newart. Newart. The Newart. And... At the no, not the Newart. We did oh, see it at the Newart. I'm thinking the Arrow. Newart. I don't remember sitting next to you. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you remember? I was the, so the, You were so in absorbed the, into the so film. absorbed. Do you remember when we accidentally saw Jackie together? Yes. What? Did you just run into each other at the theater? Mm-hmm. Well, that was before. That was before we were really friends. We yeah, had, we and had I hung thought out. you were. I thought you were like, because you had like not really ditched me to see. Like we were trying. To see, <laughs> we were trying to see it, and then Lauren was like, "Do you want to go to this one?" And I was like, "Yes." And then I tweeted about getting my ticket, and then I saw that you tweeted about. When you were gonna see it, and then yep. I think I DM'd you, and I was like, "Hold on, bitch, see so, you there." No, I'm pretty oh. sure we just saw each other. 
I don't think you. So you, me. so you two had plans to see Jackie together, and then Ben ditched you to see it with it someone else. It wasn't. We a never. Full ditch. Firm but you plans. sort of. We but you discussed. sort of talked about it. We talked about seeing it. Okay. Well, Brandon, we I talked mean, about seeing Green Room once upon I would a time, always... and then you went without me. Did I? Or I might have gone without you. But we definitely didn't see it together. Nor did we run into. Nor did we run into each other at the theater. I do still. Is I may discussing a movie with someone, then I'll go see it anyway with someone else or by myself. I really appreciated something that happened to me yesterday. So I went on a very long hike with a friend, and I was just fucking done. Like when I got home, but a friend of mine had talked about seeing Thoroughbreds Mm. last night, Mm -hmm. and I texted her. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like I just took a nap. Like I think I'm just in for the night. You want to go on Wednesday? And I so respect this movie. She was like, oh, hope you had a good hike. No, I'm just going to go tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved that move. No, yeah, that's I loved great. that move. That's what I would do. Same. It's good for everybody involved. Yes. It takes all the shame out of it, yeah. all of the pressure. Yeah. It's like, and you, it's just like, you can't go. I'm it's just like, go. It's yeah. Like, oh, no, check yourself for a second. Like, my night wasn't dependent on you mm-hmm. showing up. Especially I love that. It's freeing. Yeah. Movies yeah. are not like the most social thing. Right. So it's not yeah. like. It no, really I loved it. Matters. It was like, I'll see you this week. Yeah. Don't worry exactly. about it. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I'm going to go see this movie. We can get a drink. Or it's something. great for the three of us because sometimes we talk about going to a movie together mm-hmm. and then we never really do a follow up. Yeah. It's like, I'll see you next Monday at the kitchen table, bitch. <laughs> see you then. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your oh. name is in the credits of this It's you. Oh. Let's talk about the movie that had been not changed. Uh, employers over the past year we wouldn't be able to talk about on the pod it's true but since i don't work for them i anymore, thought about that on the way over here i was like can you talk about it yeah that's why we don't talk about paramount movies i'm glad but ben so did see i finally saw annihilation oh. and i liked it a lot a hell of a lot and i'm also very glad that we did not talk about it on the podcast because i work for the company yeah <laughs> sure yeah but I wouldn't have negative thing. I mean, I guess mate, kind of I would. I still think we should talk about Downsizing 2 and Mother 2 and Suburbicon 2. If Maybe one day like, we'll yeah. bring on a friend of the podcast to replace so, me. Yeah, when and you're, you guys can when talk you're out of about town, you. a Paramount movie. <laughs> we'll talk about you. We'll just have Vic on. I love the idea of, like, replacing Ben for an episode, and then he listens back to do the edit, and we're like, you know what? I have to say something about Ben. Like, I'm glad he's not here. I have to let him know something. (laughs) I think he's a great guy. I think he's a really good friend. That's so sweet. Well, you know, it didn't actually happen. But Twat? I said, I'm only kind of a good friend. Wow. Let's talk about... I'm good in crisis friend mode. Let's talk about... Are you that friend? I'm not good... I'm not a good regular friend. I can vouch for everything he's saying. I'm... (laughs) Oh, this is didn't your tire explode and he helped you? No, other, way, other way around. My other way around. Exploded. Ben and I. We were together. Ben, 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 Benjamin Horn, Matthew Empey, mm-hmm. picked me up from therapy one time. Yeah. Oh, because your car was locked Because I locked, I accidentally left my car in That's a right. locked uh, park parking lot. Mm-hmm. And then. And we had plans to drink all day. We had day. plans to drink rosé <laughs> and then later oh, yeah. peach vodka all day. And then I ben, had FOMO that day. Ben, uh. Ben's tire exploded on the way there. Yeah, I called AAA. We had a, a hot repairman named Ben fix oh, the tire. Right. I forgot. And then ben. I lost my AAA card, and I haven't been able to use AAA since. And I've been what getting mail from day. AAA ever since. Are you kidding me? No. Ask for a new card. <laughs> I need one. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? What a fun day. Okay, AAA can AAA can day. Venmo us twenty five dollars, but if you are a AAA mm. member, you don't have to go to the DMV to renew your car registration. 
What do you do? You go to the AAA center in downtown Los Angeles and wait 10 minutes and pay cash, get your stickers on site, walk out the door, drive your new re-registered legal-to-drive vehicle. What? AAA center downtown. Wow. Wow. Owen Wilson. Wow. 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 You know. (laughs) I love the part when the bear in Annihilation goes, wow. (laughs) Because he ate Owen Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm oh, a bear! Did you think about that when the bear came on screen? I'm a I'm bear. A bear! <laughs> okay, speaking of animals, furry animals. Did you see my tweet about Annihilation today? That was really funny. <laughs> oh, the one about butthole orbs? No, but there was... The that sounds a little orb. blue for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I said um, I need to go into the shimmer because at least there will be one person there who wants to put their entire body weight on me. <laughs> I didn't. I read it and I didn't get it until just this moment. You're talking about the metal version <laughs> of yourself, who's trying to crush up you. against Which is really the best case scenario. Overtake her. Yeah. At the door. <laughs> I also. I said. I, I said on the weight of my metal cell. I, t- I told you on Friday night that your phone crack in the corner. You have this like oh, black mass. Yeah. Yes, and it's encroaching on the rest of the phone. And I told you like you. That's the Ooh, shimmer. The shimmer. You have the shimmer, to be the shimmer out of your phone. And a new crack appeared all like all oh, the way through. I it. love a new crack. It's <sighs> a shimmer. Okay, Daniel. All right, this is movies IMO. I'm Ben Empey. <laughs> I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. We are here today to chief. talk about I'm spot. my nope, that one's dead. second screen credit in <laughs> history. Woo! Isle so of Dogs. Yeah. By the way, written <laughs> great enunciation on that there. Written and directed by Wes Anderson. Wes of the White um, Andersons. I love dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs. You know. As a cat person. My mom kept calling it Life of Dogs. <laughs> the Life of Dogs. <laughs> and I and I finally was like, no, it's it rhymes with it's a pun on a homonym, I love on dogs. And she was like, oh, oh I'll remember it this like, time. And I do love dogs. Yeah. She does. She has two. By the way, we need to get I know Vicky's listening to this. We need to figure out our calendars to do this. Maybe let's do it on Mother's Day. We need to figure <gasps> out Oh, that would be great. Okay. So for, on Mother's Day we're going to do an episode with uh, Ben's mother. Vicky. Vicky. Because that's yes. about when Avengers comes out and nothing we're else not, is going to be counter-programmed we're against not talking, that. We are never talking about a Marvel movie on this show ever again. Well, until Ava's. That's DC, baby. Oh, fuck. You're right. Wait. Ava's doing a DC movie, not a Marvel movie. Well, t- well you love the DC Extended Universe, Ben. Don't I, act like you don't. Oh, I, I thought, like the ones I've seen. I thought yeah. you were saying Meaning we're Batman versus Superman, and, Dawn of Justice. And Wonder Woman. Those of are course. The ones I've seen. I honestly forget Wonder Woman's part of that Yeah, I know. Thing. That Man of Steel behemoth. is not good. <laughs> that hulking mass. Oh. Okay. Oh. All right. Oh, wow. So Isle of Dogs is yeah, about... Yeah, what is it about? Is about all of the dogs have been banished to Trash Island because they got dog flu in Japan. Oh. And a boy goes to... The little pilot. The little pilot goes to Trash Island to find his dog, Spots, and reclaim him. Yeah. And then typical Wes Anderson chase movie happens. And then we get some chaos. Chaos. So chaos reigns. This is a chinima of chaos, this Wes Anderson guy. And there are some hot female dogs. 
<laughs> I love the Scarlett Johansson dog. I'm sorry. I love her tricks. I love the tricks she pulls. She does such good tricks. I, what a good I really dog. like that What character. a good dog. And I like the unexpected romance that comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and you're somehow immediately invested in, yeah. this, in these two dogs. Who voices the... Um, Hmm? So Chief Oh, the uh, um Peppermint or the other lady dog? No. Cause that's the that's the little girl, Kara Haywood or Hayward from Moonrise Kingdom. Oh. Fun oh. Fact. Chief is Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you remember the names? Duke is Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he's the rumor. The, the god the gossipy puppy. I love I love at I first love I was like, this is repetitive, them asking about it, but then I realized it was a bit and, and then I loved it. And then I love like his last line is like Dogs talk and I listen. And what can I say? I love it, gossip. It, it pays off. It pays, it pays off. off. Um, By the way, just real King quick. Is Bob oh no! Uh, this is oh, Wes no, Anderson's right. second stop motion animated film. Yes, after Fantastic Mr. Fox. Edward Norton in the voices Rex. Bill Murray voices the boss. Frances McDormand voices the interpreter. Mm-hmm. Coming for that Nicole Kidman iconic oh, F. role. F. Murray mm. Abraham. Yeah. F. Murray and. Yeah. And then Tilda as. Tilda's the pug. The pug Oracle. Okay. I couldn't believe. Can you believe? Can you believe? I couldn't believe. And Harvey Keitel is the one on the other side oh, of the island. Oh, can we talk. Do we want to talk about Harvey Keitel now? Not yet. We're going to talk about Harvey Keitel later. Later. Because well, that let's talk about Harvey stirred now. me. Okay. Yeah. The I cannibalism scene. Anytime there's a scene where the dogs or the humans' eyes well up with tears, which are, which is multiple, frequent in this movie. Yeah. Like, I rewatched Fantastic Mr. Fox, as we all did, and I. Practically glowing. Oh my God, I love that part. Um, Eyes well up with tears, like maybe two times. Isle of Dogs, 15 times. Wow. And there was one time in particular. Wow. I mean, it's not 15, I don't know what it is, but it's a lot. And there was one moment. Friend of the podcast, Lauren Perez, loved Isle of Dogs, and she does not like Wes Anderson movies. Wow. Really? Wow. She, she said, quote, I guess we found the one relationship Wes Anderson can write emotionally, and that's between a boy and his dog. Which is fascinating, <laughs> and, because I Wes mean, Anderson has mistreated so many dogs in his films. Yes. So many dogs. Which has um, the great moment. me. He threw a cat out the window. Well, he he is a uh, an equal opportunity offender in in that regard, and, and, and we'll talk more about animals. oh Moonrise we'll Kingdom. He shot later. a dog with an arrow. Yeah, didn't Lucas Hedges shoot that dog? Lucas Hedges is so good in Moonrise. Baby Kingdom. Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges in Moonrise. He's Kingdom? a goddamn he has, bully. He's <gasps> he has like a main role. He is what some and of our listeners say about me. He's a fucking just, bully. I just think Oops. about him <laughs> in Budapest. Need a ride or yeah. need a lift. He has quite a substantial role in Moonrise. It's, it's quite, quite substantial. substantial. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. There's your balance. Um, I wanted. I wanna. Um, well, no. Wait, no, I, no, no. Hold I'm on. I'm not ready. To I go swear there to God, yet. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep us on task because. And, oh, yeah, Harvey Keitel. Oh no. Well, we oh. we're gonna get back to Harvey Keitel. I'm not gonna keep us so much on task. But you were talking about the the uh, welling up of eyes ratio. Yeah. Oh, I do want to Fantastic Mr. Fox and I Love Dogs. This movie is a five-star movie for me when it involves the dogs. Mm-hmm. When it's only about the dogs, focuses on the dogs, very, very effective. And there was one moment where, who's the dog that be, that like starts Who's the all, dog? Who's the dog that starts, are, starts all haggard and then ends up being, like they wash Brian in? Brian Cranston. Chief. 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 It is Chief. Yeah. Chief okay. is the lead. Pardon. Yeah, it's Chief's story. Pardon me. 
Yeah, so Chief is the one that arcs. Chief is the one who makes Chief, me cry watching this movie. Yeah, Chief has a line. It's it's the simplest line. It's something like after they wash him off and he has the spots. Mm-hmm. Atari says something to him that's like I don't know. He just like pats him or something. Maybe like hands him one of those biscuits. Mm-hmm. And then Chief says like two words, and I just like welled up with tears. It's not that moment, but you saw it right now. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, do I, I don't remember the two is? words, but a moment that makes me well up is when he's like. You know, everybody thinks I'd want a bite, but that's not me, <laughs> you know? Well, <laughs> yeah. also acknowledging earlier that he has this knee-jerk reaction within him to just attack any sort of love that comes his way. Mm-hmm. I find the chief character to be one of the most moving characters <laughs> in the Wes Anderson universe, it's which really took good. me by surprise, because the yeah. first act of this movie, I'm thinking to myself, honestly, like some of the best compositions he's ever put together, the way he's playing with light and shadow and color, it's sort of blowing my mind. In this movie, more than anything else, Wes Anderson is engaging with negative space in a way that sort of builds this cloud of introspection and existentialism over the whole thing, which Wes Anderson always sort of does with a nod. It's like in Fantastic Mr. Fox, he's like, it's like existentialism, you know? But in this movie, he actually, all these frames have so much emptiness in them that Mm -hmm. every character is forced to consider their place in the world and in their environment, how they got there. But that Chief's whole thing is that he obviously has like insecurities and rage issues. We find out he was like the runt of the litter later on. And not anymore. Not oh man. <laughs> oh, Leah Schreiber, outstanding as spots, doing some quality world? voice work. I mean, it's basically like Ray Donovan and Walter White are oh the God. two. True. I hate this word, but puppers to a to Atari. Oh, I hate puppers. I hate puppers. I hate doggos. Poppers. I hate, love. Poppers. I love poppers. Love poppers. Hate, hate poppers. poppers. I love uh, daggers, but oh. I don't love doggos. Oh. I love staring daggers. But I find it very moving that Chief's arc in the movie is learning to trust and love again after the world has chewed him up and spit him out. It's Mm -hmm. the idea that change is always possible. We get so sucked up into our routines, and if they're negative, like if if shit hasn't worked out for us for a really long time, we buy into this this worldview that nothing will ever work for us and that we'll never make a connection with somebody. And against his own will, Chief falls in love with this boy, and in the end of the movie, like they walk away as lifelong companions. Mm -hmm. And and likewise, Spots' arc is also very moving to me, because he's been given a purpose, a a meaning, uh, or a meaning slash a purpose in this life, which is to protect... A dog's purpose. A dog's purpose. And and by the way, (laughs) no no dogs were harmed in the making of this film. Oh my god. Some feelings might have been, but Dogs weren't. Dogs were not but Spots, feelings were. Spots has one one job, a purpose on this earth, which is to look after the little boy. And then life throws him a curveball. He gets sent to a trash island mm-hmm. and he forges a new life. He falls in love with a dog. Mm-hmm. They have children. And when he meets his old master, he has to say, like, look, man, I love you more than anything else in the world. But, like, shit's changed. Right. Yeah. That that moment really And that's really moving me to first, me. Yeah, it took, it took me by surprise, the fact that Spots is like... Hey, get yourself a new dog. Yeah, <laughs> like I've moved. But on. well, also but he says like I've, and he has to say that. Like right. I, I've, he has to acknowledge the reality of a situation, which is that he has now entered into a union with another dog. Mm-hmm. They're having children. He also has this whole new pack of dogs that depend that saved him. He owes his life to that. Now he is helping lead in in his own small but significant way. Right. He can't do the thing he used to do anymore, and and it's like it's just so perfect, and it He's makes grown me, up. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like it's a breakup. It's like that great breakup. Don't you, you know? love those little baby pups that oh. look like the Neverending yes. Story flying animal? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And then um, there's the runt. And Atari saves and he the picks runt. them up and gives them a little milk. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Tilda Swinton as the pug the who pug. sees the future but actually just understands TV? TV? <laughs> my dog. When she's watching Whack a Mole, my dog <laughs> Gus watches TV, and I'm convinced he understands. And he gets it. Mike mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton's pug. Yeah, my cat will watch movies with me sometimes, and she doesn't watch every movie with me. But it's the ones that are always really visually expressive that she just mm. like pupils wide, just gobsmacked staring at the television. I was house sitting for my sister and her cat George loved the tree of life how could you not i know how could you not he did not he did not move he did not turn his head mm-hmm. for two and a half hours i wish my cat watched tv my cat perches Shmee. and just stares at me at whatever i'm doing she is getting so skinny yeah what she's fuck? shrinking i thought she was ill and then i paid a hundred dollars to take her to the vet for the vet to be like cats get old they lose weight i'm like okay thank you can you give me my money back <laughs> fuck you literally fuck you um i think just very quickly sure. this is one of this is one of his most beautiful movies i mean the craft resplendent. is impeccable. the craft he is a master of his what he does what he is mm-hmm. doing and with that rainbow of sake bottles is mm-hmm. outstanding and then the black kiersky mm-hmm. shadow against it is un- it's it's orgasmic yeah and like his framing is like better than ever impeccable he loves his frame and he fills his frame and but what i was saying earlier like he actually doesn't fill a lot of these frames with yeah, with, with knickknacks are... and right. and odd little things he uses these gorgeous like a lot of like mono mo- land like beautiful matte paintings of landscape but then also just monochromatic colors mm-hmm. um that he uses as a backdrop similar to like the sliding doors um like the shadow against that fabric yeah the what it I, I don't know what it's called, and I'm embarrassed by this. Like, this is where my whiteness is showing, but the name of the doors, like, in traditional... Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what that's called either. Yeah, but, but like, the, the way that, like, it casts a shadow behind of the person, like, in, mm-hmm. in, in, ex, in um, I'm sorry, in outdoor scenes, he does that with, like, washes of orange and blue right. and yellow. And then in the little cave of empty sake bottles, like, mm-hmm. a rainbow. Right. But he isn't using a lot of negative space yeah. as well. And I find that ad- admirable, and it serves the material really well and like his influences are showing yeah yeah i watching this i watched this before i revisited fantastic mr fox and Same. i was like does fantastic mr fox look this good and then you watch it and you're like Ooh, it's fantastic a, mr. it's fox. a very different movie it's, it's a it's a different look but like i i wonder what stop motion fantastic mr fox would look like today like right. it looks a little bit yeah. dated i mean not I, dated but it's the technology is different i yes. I I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think that... Wow, spoiler. Oh, yikes. Yeah, we're ranking <gasps> later, <gasps> Daniel. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Very, like, but he's doing different things. Look, mine with, is right here. He's doing different things with the mise-en-scene. The characters are going no, through... No, totally, totally. But I just mean, like, on a technical aspect. It's certainly yeah. more polished. It's yeah. more polished. But that rough-hewn quality of Fantastic I Mr. Love Fox is part of what's so Mr. endearing. Fox. It's great. It's great. I... Love, trust me, I love Fantastic Mr. But Fox. But it just... is like, at least for me, the dogs feel more real. Like, as like I can believe that they're real people or they're alive. Uh, interesting. It's easier for me. Like, I, which is funny because I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is a more emotional movie to me. Sure. Um, but 
I'm aware that I'm watching a cartoon when I watch Fantastic huh. Mr. Fox, and yeah. with Isle of Dogs, it was easier. And for honestly, me to be. I think that is just how far we've come I in agree. nine years with cinema technology. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't really agree at all. But if what you're saying is like because the animation itself is so much more sophisticated and yeah. has more of like a realistic quality to it, that's, yeah, what, that's the only thing I'm. Yeah, for me, it's that like the character arcs are so much stronger in Fantastic Mr. Fox, and that every single character has well, a yeah. complete arc, and also the voice performances are much more remarkable and and uh, just stand out more, that. and they're more idiosyncratic. Which, by oh, the way, absolutely. But that's something that I really love. It just looks more like just a cartoon. like tech, very strict technical, right? Standpoint. But I guess I it just it is a cartoon. But I'll, and, and I'm not saying that you're not saying this. I know you know this because you know you're you're a human with eyes. But everything in Fantastic Mr. Fox is obviously hand built. These are all little right. sets that are intricate and everything. And it's the same with Isle of Dogs. So it it never feels it feels just as unreal to me in that mm-hmm. it, it's an animated world. But because you can like almost literally see thumbprints all over this place, like. Yeah. It, it, it's the verisimilitude is very strong to me in Fantastic Mr. The Fox. The added layer of sophistication for Isle of Dogs in terms of animation is the way he incorporates 2D animation, which I thought was yeah. really incredible. I, yeah, totally. Oh. For sure. I don't know. I, I also just think like Fantastic Mr. Fox is spending more time. Like, it is inherently more cartoonish because it's leaning into Wes Anderson's. Uh, inclination to clutter his frames in a very ordered way, but I, I I stand by the word clutter. But like it's like in Grand Budapest Hotel, like the cactus is going to be here, right? Like the rows of safes are going to be over here, mm-hmm. and in Fantastic Mr. Fox, like Badger's office, for instance, location we're only in once. Like there are papers strewn across the desk. Like there is the perfect painting hanging behind. And I love dogs. Like we're dealing in trash. Like we're dealing right. with leftovers. Mm-hmm. So it feels. If anything, like Isle of Dogs feels more handmade to me, only because Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Fox is replicating real structures, just like in an animal world, like real spaces, but in an ant, like turning them into animal world. Yeah. Whereas like, Isle of Dogs and- is like real human trash being turned into makeshift structures. Yeah. Which makes is so resonant, like with the makeshift family in the movie hmm. for me, like rising from the ashes and dealing with making something beautiful out of the you know trash heap that we're all living in. I love trash anyway I, i've Same. successfully uh zigzagged five different times from what you initially said which <laughs> is not a winning strategy um i don't know what i was gonna say i want let's dive well, you in. better say something let's just dive into the main focal point around this movie right now which is oh yeah the, i mean no i the, think cultural insensitivity appropriation mm-hmm. yeah a lot of pieces have been written yeah, some really strong writing um, from folks like Justin Chang, Karen Han, Emily Yoshida, like some very the most, good pieces. Yeah. A lot of which, I mean, most of which I think we all agree with. Like, there, there's, a, yeah, there's well, a Wes Anderson movie to love here. There's also let's, things to take issue yeah, with. The, let, the one thing, the main thing for me that's that, and I hate to say it. Greta Gerwig's character. Oh, not great, Bob. Do you want to start there? I mean, I mean we, do you we, not want to start there? No, no, no. I mean, I, I guess I would go. I would take another step back, but I'm happy to microscope. Yeah, in. that's that's a little. That's more. So that's let's, more focused. But let me just say before, before we get into it, like the problem with the movie is when it comes to cultural sensitivity is that it takes place in Japan, uh, and yet marginalizes the Japanese characters in the movie 
left and right and center mm-hmm. to the point where not, it's it's not only that they become caricatures; it's that they become completely written off. This is a story being told like in their home, like in their country, and yep. yet their own culture and history is not being honored in any yep. um, rich sort of way. Even though I think Wes Anderson is doing his damnedest to like write a love letter to Japanese culture, it's right. just that his perspective. Just, is off, and as a yeah. result, it is, it is a failed experiment on that level. The mm-hmm. movie falters with its human characters because he just doesn't know, doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah, the and biggest it, problem for me when it comes to talking about cultural sensitivity in Isle of Dogs is the gambit that all of the dogs' barks have been translated into English, whereas everyone else is still speaking in their native tongue. Mm-hmm. Which, in concept, is sort of... It, it's a you know it's a clever conceit. It's a way of actually honoring Japanese culture to be like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I'm not going to whitewash these characters by giving them zippy uh, English-language dialogue. I'm going to... This movie's going to take place in their country, and therefore they're going to speak in their own tongue. Right. But it's like that argument, and also it's like the movie is from the dog's point of view, so it's also quite clever to be like, you understand the dogs, but the humans don't, you, you don't mm. understand their language. That's all well and good. I think that's quite clever. But it's like, meanwhile, there's an American foreign exchange student who actually does speak English. Who is like the lead of the it, human characters. She's the leader of the yeah, resistance. The, the white savior aspect it's the, it's, of the Greta It's total Gerber white character. savior. Mm-hmm. And she, Justin Chang, I think, brings this up in his piece, but she literally like, cuts off Yoko Ono. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, right. come on. And it's like, it's frustrating because you can see that Wes Anderson is just trying to do what he always does. Like, I'm in that interaction between uh, Tracy, the, mm-hmm. I just saw this movie, Tracy, yes. the yes. Uh, American exchange student, mm-hmm. and then Yoko Ono, who's playing, like, assistant Yoko scientist ono. Yoko Ono. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is a classic Wes Anderson move for one character to, like, shake the other by the collar and be like, get a hold of yourself! But right. it's not... But it's it doesn't. Not Tracy's job to do that. Ex- no, and that's where that's where it becomes complicated. Yeah. Right? And it's like this is what I mean. Like Wes Anderson, like I really think is writing this movie with nothing but love in his heart. Mm-hmm. But because yeah. he's never checking his own perspective to make way for one that might might know a little bit more right. <laughs> like about Japanese culture and like what what like living in Japan might be like. Right. He he just trips over his own. Um, he just trips over his own tropes. Yeah. And yeah, and so it's like he doesn't. And, which deserves taking to task, even though yeah. it, it, whether or not it's certainly not malicious. I don't think he's out to say like the Japanese are a totalitarian society that you should watch out for. Right. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is still failing to actually convey a, a sense of culture and where his story takes place in a place that is real. Right. And yet he's not he's not presenting that real place as it is. So it just. It, it becomes tricky and, and yeah, and it just it it comes across a little icky at times. The I language think, thing is the big. I think it is it. the thing that makes it hard for me to embrace this movie in the end. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's still I still really like this movie. I think I said earlier because mm-hmm. the dogs work so well. They but can. when he when he tries to engage with the culture and with like the human characters, yeah. he he just he doesn't know what he to do and he feels you can sense that he doesn't know right what yeah to do with there's that. no well, sense of thought he, he's act he's actively evading mm-hmm. yeah. looking into that perspective yeah and on one level well, I want, on also, one level i want to be like you know smart call to stay in your lane but by setting your story in japan and embracing japanese aesthetics and a, and a history of japanese art not, ju- not just visual art but haikus homage. and pay homage it's like but you so you're already not staying in your lane like part of 
You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. If it was Steven Spielberg, for instance, making this movie, there would be a Japanese producer on the movie. Well, there's a Japanese right. writer in the movie, but there is a Japanese writer. But if you look at the rest of the credits, it's all still mostly it's still it's, mostly it's, it's just Scott Rudin's his baby. main yeah. team. Yes, and it there I can you can imagine a new person coming into that and not having their voice. Uh, heard properly and I just think Wes Anderson has stepped into other worlds before such as the Grand Budapest Hotel yeah and he's been so fucking lauded for it I can see him going into this movie and thinking I can do the same thing Mm -hmm. and I don't and it's not different yeah but it is different Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah. I agree. I mean, I think yeah. that Wes Anderson um, is a is a director and writer who's always been fascinated with foreign cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, Darjeeling, Dar- certainly, but Darjeeling but, works. Um, I haven't seen well, it in like well, ten years. But hold on, I, I want to stay on the Grand Budapest line here because I yeah, think yeah, Ben yeah. is right, and I just want to uh, add my own support to. I love when Daniel said. says Ben is right. I Get it, it on the record. Ben and I like agree. Also, I've been cut off at saying Darjeeling works. There's more to that sentence. It, it <laughs> no, I know it doesn't fully work. Well, Darjeeling, I think checks its privilege a little bit more. Thank you. That's what it, I want. The movie yeah. is the movie wants you to laugh at these three white guys being like, "I'm going to find transcendence and spiritual yes, enlightenment yes, by going to India," and that's why it works better. Right, and then Isle. and then they actually, I mean, they actually do find themselves transformed, but not in that same mystical way. Right. But anyway. Anyway, Ben's. I right. just want to say, and... I, no, no, I just want to, I just, I just want to say, Ben's right. I just want to say, Ben's right. And this has been movies I have on the internet. Ben book with three O's. <laughs> I, you can also find two O's next to a one, which is the percentage I give Ben on his opinion. Oh one hundred. Wow. Thank you so much. Wes Anderson right, we'll is a writer director <laughs> who has always been fascinated with foreign cultures, and the way he explores them is traditionally through pastiche. Right. But. When you are of European descent, like you inherently probably have a better understanding, like of what the world of like the Eastern Europe of the Grand Budapest Hotel, right. what that looks like, what, like Bavaria. like you've Let's been and and apparently like and Wes lives in Paris, exactly. Like Europe is he's a euro he's a eurocentric guy, right. and that I mean and that's his background that's and where his he lives whole. Now. Even there's just the fact that that sort of debonair, there's like sophistication, a just a history of colonialism yeah. that is inherent <laughs> yeah. in the work of white men. Right. I just want to yeah. make sure that what I just said is put into context. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like a debonair sophistication that is like performative right. of like an old Europe sort of thing. Right. Like so that's just since Ben the went, Budapest since, thing. since Ben went the colonialist route, I just want to make sure that I'm Yeah, not we were both like, trying to make two separate points at once. Right. And that's my problem because <laughs> I was talking over you. But I guess that is the whole point of our podcast. It is. We but, like talking over people. But we do. It it is arrogant for Wes Anderson to say, I love going to Tokyo, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna be just fine telling my Japanese story without really interrogating my point of view and without right. trying to shit like it's not just a matter of like changing the set dressing. Um because I think about that opening scene, like in the in the temple, like what we assume is prologue. a Buddhist temple, in the mm-hmm. prologue, and, and the guy like rings the bell and lights two candles, mm-hmm. and it's like I I found myself thinking both times I saw it, that's probably not how that ritual actually works in right. that temple. And when we're in the Catholic monastery, or you know, we're in the monastery in the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm-hmm. when Willem Dafoe is walking around with like the smoking orbs, like. Mm-hmm. 
I know as a Anglo white person, like that is how that works. Like he doesn't have the shorthand for it. Right. You know? Yeah. And and it shows. There's there's just yeah, I mean when I saw it, there's there's just this dripping sense of just like ickiness mm-hmm. in in certain moments that are just like you're not the guy to be doing this right, right. now. Well, it's like I, I, I think I, you know, forever. I've heard this. I've heard this um, sentiment expressed before, and I agree with it. I don't think that certain people are off limits from telling stories that aren't their own. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do the work, do like the if, research. If do you the, don't, if get you don't, the, get the people on your team, and, and that's the other part of it. It's not just doing the research. It's what Brandon just said. It's like surrounding yourself with people who are experts, right. people whose perspective or, or, or whose story it is on some level, or a shared culture, or a mm-hmm. shared perspective. And yes, like there is a co-writer on the film uh, who is of Japanese descent. I Not believe. a co-writer though. He's oh, is it fourth an... build on the story. He's also an actor in the film, I think. But he is, yeah. But I don't mean that. But as again, like a... but wait a minute. Wes still wrote the screenplay. He's solely credited yeah. on the screenplay. Right. I just and Wes Anderson even said like this story could take place anywhere. So to me, that just it frustrates me because if it could I... take place anywhere, why did you? Choose? Here's why. It, here's why it frustrates me. It's because what what Brandon is saying, like when the movie is with the dogs, it works. But when it's with the humans, it doesn't work. And what frustrates me about this movie is like when I'm with the dogs, I'm with a human experience. Like right. you relate to the dogs because we've all experienced loss. We've all experienced this idea of like well we're all strays in this world aren't we like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so many of Wes Anderson's movies are about broken a broken sense of self a, a shattered identity and then how you pick up the pieces and you do it by standing stronger together with your makeshift family like that's there with the dogs and I find it tremendously moving mm-hmm. yeah and then anytime we go to Megasaki especially when we're with the Tracy character I'm just like this is the wrong way to explain. Like, I thought about what if, like, forget, and I, you know, I hate to say it, but forget Greta Gerwig for a second. Mm-hmm. Keep all those same characters. I, I really like the hacker character, who is really the only other character, I guess, in, in the school. But, like, what right. if, how great and how resonant would it be, especially in light of, like, Parkland and, and um, everything that's happened over the weekend, like, if it's these Japanese students who mm-hmm. say enough is enough. That's right. who it should be. Right? And the Rather than the American Tracy exchange student, in, who then somehow lands a, a seat on the, on the government. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like the, it's not just, that I don't think immigrants should be in government, but she has a visa. It's just like you know what? Cut that out. I don't actually don't know how any of that works. <laughs> don't cut it out. But like, I don't know how any of that works. Brandon, she um, she's twelve years old in the government. <laughs> also, <laughs> no, no, no. She's a high schooler. Hey, close enough. There's a twelve year old mayor. Yeah, but you know what? If we've learned anything the past month, it's like let these teens it's let true. these teens run. I saw someone tweet about re the gun control debate. <laughs> That it's like we're at the point of your old person parent is like, how do I work my iPhone? And the young person is just like, just fucking give it to me. Yeah. And yeah. that's <laughs> oh, where that. we are. Yes. I love and that. So it's, I get it. I get why young people are great. And frustrated. Yes. <laughs> like, it's so simple. <laughs> Ban automatic assault rifles. <laughs> Background <laughs> checks. It's so, fu- I mean, I don't need to make, I don't mean to make a joke so out of it, but like, it's so Jesus easy. fucking Christ. It's that's so funny. Just give me the phone. Mm-hmm. How do you fix it? Give me it. Give me the phone. Yep. Push three buttons here, idiot. Yep. Um, anyway. We, <laughs> we steered... <sighs> but how great would that have been if it was just like a student uprising it without... It would have been great a if... A Westerner if who was leading the way. Savior Tracy didn't like shove all the Asian students out of the way to be like, I'm saving you today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like, it's like, is it funny when Tracy is like... Like when she's basically like, I hate the mayor. He's he's a crook and I hate him. Like, 
I find that line delivery quite silly and funny, and and I and I like that character. Right. I like the character, but that doesn't mean she should be there. But there should be, if she is going to be there, there should be some sort of perspective outside right. of that she is the hero. But doesn't it seem so yeah. much easier just to ditch that character yes. completely? Yes, because <laughs> her purpose her is to be the hero to someone else. Exactly. Yes. When I, whenever a she Japanese was, character, yeah, whenever she was on screen, I'm like, ugh, and mm-hmm. it pains me because it's Greta, right? And her Greta's voice acting is good. It's mm-hmm. just the character sucks. Mm-hmm. It's inappropriate. It is inappropriate. It's just, it's just like ill-conceived. Like it is the wrong vantage point on the story, right? One hundred percent. And you know, Wes Anderson feels that this story could have taken place anywhere. I agree, but you said it in Japan, <laughs> and therefore do your homework. Specificity yeah. breeds universality, as we say on so the show. So if you are going Thank to. You. Go there, then fucking go there. Yeah. And do it right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You know who would have done this job right from start to goddamn finish without missing a beat? It's Paul Thomas. Would have made a routine about it. She would have scrubbed every floor. She would have checked every nook, every (gasps) cranny. And she wouldn't have rested until she did the job right. That would be (laughs) Miss Johnny D. It took me a minute. San Eddie Brussel. I didn't know where you were going. <laughs> where are you going? Kaidu covers. Um, what I want to say. I don't know. Well, we didn't go back to Harvey Keitel and the Cannibal Dogs, which oh, is one of the films. We're most only forty minutes in. So strongest we can go there now. moments. I think when he's like pacing around, he's like, "What do you think, world?" I, well, I don't know. Don't I, I don't remember judge any lies a from dog the by its coat. Yeah, and he's like, "We had to eat him to survive." And and he was his best friend is the other thing. Yeah. Which we catch on. I really love what Wes Anderson is doing with Harvey Keitel. Not just in this film, but in the Grand Budapest Hotel and in Moonrise Kingdom. And it also like it's just a wonderful piece of film history symmetry with the way that Martin Scorsese in the nineteen nineties was like a lot of people are saying that this Paul Thomas Anderson guy is my new heir. This is, and, and I'm just doing run-on sentences here, but like this is coming off of like the the wipes of Boogie Nights, like mm-hmm. the the Goodfellas nature of it, and same with mm-hmm. Magnolia. And he's like, actually, this Wes Anderson guy, I think, is more my guy, like more my heir. And so I just love the continuity with Harvey Keitel. But he just mm-hmm. casts him as like a sad elder statesman yeah. with regret, <laughs> like, and who, especially in in Isle of Dogs, has such a deep melancholy to him. Mm-hmm. Totally. And his tattoos in the Grand Budapest Hotel are so funny to me. I forgot he was in Moonrise and that scene. He's the, he's the head honcho. He's the yeah. scoutmaster. The scene where like the hut's exploding and Ed Norton like carries him and they look like cartoons. Ed Norton Moonrise... is so good in that movie. Yeah, he is. Moonrise Kingdom looks like a cartoon. I didn't realize Ed Norton was Rex. Yes. Yeah. And you're Rex. I'm Duke. You're king. I'm finished. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else? Am I? Um, yes. I was just going to say, it's just very hard for me to be objective about this movie, and I'm because you worked it, on it, yeah, or and I'm finding it very hard to talk about. I know you are, and, so and I just want to say that. Well, then let's let's wrap this up and let's yeah, move let's on. move on to our homework, which yeah. we had a lot of, and, I and did movies. and. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to check y'all. How how many did y'all watch? I'd be happy to tell you, Brandon. <laughs> I watched The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I Same. watched Fantastic Mr. Fox. Same. I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel. Same. And I watched the first 45 minutes of Moonrise Kingdom last night before I passed out. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I watched. <laughs> Let me just pull up my <clears throat> letter. I was only <laughs> ever going to watch those three. So 
I feel well, good. <laughs> I actually, I had to do some personal homework because I had never seen Royal Tenenbaums. Never seen, see, you I've had seen to do Royal like Ten the prisoners so many times. You had to do like the prisoners in Grand Budapest and do a little digging. I had to do a little digging. I did Royal Tenenbaums for the first time. I did Darjeeling Limited for the first time. Mm. I wanted to revisit Rushmore since I haven't seen it in like ten years, but uh, I didn't. See, I didn't see that log. Grand Budapest, I rewatched, and I'm very glad I did, because the first time I saw it, I did not like it, and this time Crazy. I came out loving it. Moonrise oh. Kingdom remained a five. Steve Zissou went from a four when I first time I saw it to a five. Wow, perfect five. And Zissou. Fantastic Mr. Fox remained a five and a heart throughout and my life. And the best film Wes Anderson has oh. ever made. Shall we do, wanna, wanna Shall we open do our rankings Let's do our now? rankings. Then take us away. Are we counting down? Uh, from, so from I the have bottom not, up. I have not seen Bottle Rocket. Same. Yeah, I know that I saw it at some point in high school. Let's I, just leave it or off. college. I don't know. Okay. I don't. I, I can't tell you anything that happened. Great. Um, number eight, Darjeeling Limited. Number seven, I Love Dogs. Mm-hmm. Number six, Rushmore. Woo. Number five, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yikes. <laughs> Number four, Moonrise Kingdom. Number three, The Royal Ten Bombs. Number two, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And number one, The Life Aquatique with Steve Zissou. With Steven Zissou. We have a lot in common on that list, Ben. Nice. What I like about the Royal Tenenbaums is that it sort of sounds like the Grand Budapest Hotel score, if you think about it. Like the Royal Tenenbaum, bum, 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 nice. bum, Academy bum. Award winner. Hell yeah. Did he win for it? Yes. I mean, he deserves to win for one of the scores of these movies because re- doing, He should be nominated doing... for Isle of Dogs. Yes, he should. I was wondering, is this going to be the first movie that Wes Anderson wins an Oscar for? No. What would he win for? Mm. Animated film? He'll get... Oh, fuck. You I know, I gonna did... Get, he's going to get nominated, but I don't... I did have that thought watching the movie. For six Academy Awards. I don't know apparently. if it's undeniable the way that Zootopia was when it came out this early in the year. Sure. Because the, it just... It, it really depends but, on what else Disney well, is going to put out. The movie I, is mired in controversy, but it, it did get like widespread acclaim. And yeah. I'm not... so. I mean, you're talking about... Is the Academy of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri Correct. going... Yeah, exactly. So no, I, I, I thought about this while I was watching it. I was like, oh shit, it's going to get nominated for Best Animated, obviously. And it's probably the front runner because we have Wreck-It Ralph 2, mm-hmm. which... Loved Wreck-It Ralph 1. If it's good, which I don't know if it's going to be... Uh, I never saw the first one. If it wasn't going to be I Smile Back, Sarah Silverman is coming for an Oscar in one Ooh. shape or form. Oh, my God. Um, one shape or another. Whatever. Pixar, what is Pixar? Oh, Incredi- Incredibles 2 will That's win. your winner. No, that's 2019. Incredible- Are you sure? Does I've Incredibles seen a teaser 2 for this. really not come out this I've year? I've seen a teaser for this film. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. What does DreamWorks have cooking? I mean, it's definitely top three contender. Oh, it, no, you're right. It is this year. I'm sorry. I think Isle Incredi- of Dogs will be nominated, sure. Absolutely. Incredibles 2 will probably win. Right. Can I do my ranking? Because I, yes. I just don't want to talk about the Oscars. Is that okay? No. <gasps> <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> you're on the wrong podcast. Can I do that? I'm changing the line a little bit. Okay. Go. All right. Is that okay? I mean... Yeah, go! You, you guys keep talking. Go! Okay, I'll leave! Just leave. Number eight. My favorite line in Vertigo. If you want to leave, just leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
that's me packing up. Oh my god! Wow. I wonder what that's gonna sound. I mean, like. I check the chord. I'll check the chord. <laughs> Hopefully, it sounded like something. I mean, I, I was just trying to engage the medium. Listeners, Daniel just chucked his mic at my head. Wow! Did it leave a mark? Yes. You should have seen the other dog. Nice. Number eight. He bit your ear off. Is the Darjeeling that, violent images indeed limited? The kidney surgery scene. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this fucking sushi scene. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I love the sushi scene. Mm. Brandon is on the record on this podcast as loving a good slice. Brandon hates fish. <laughs> I do too. All die. What? I mean, I, what? I'm a pescatarian. I know I've identified differently on the show before, but I'm a pescatarian, and the reason why is I don't find much to like about fish. Wow. Wow. Okay, number eight. It's a more nuanced than that. You know, fish farms. Darjeeling, number eight. Number seven is I Love Dogs. Number six is... I haven't done my ranking yet. I'm doing this on the fly. Great. Nice. <sighs> number six is... Put Rushmore you know so what? we're all the same. No, I'm going to catch some flack for this, and I'm sorry to both of you. I love this film, Moonrise Kingdom. That's fine. Number five <laughs> is... I get it. Number get five it. is Rushmore. Okay. Number four is The Life Aquatic with Stephen Zissou. Number three is The Royal Tenenbaums. Number two is The Grand Budapest Hotel. And number one is Fantastic Mr. Fox. You're telling me. Ooh, here we go. (laughs) When Steve Zissou wants to know if the shark remembers him, that's below everything that happens in The Royal Tenenbaums for you. Yes. Yes. Can I just for a moment? Honestly, I mean, oh. I l- random rebuttal. No rebuttal. What you just it's got not, attacked? No, for. I'm not going to do a re- when Bill Murray takes Kate Blanchett up in the high I'm, air balloon. I'm not doing a rebuttal. I'm just saying that I find Angelica Houston's mm-hmm. Broken Soul and the Royal Tenenbaums just as effective, and I think that Gene Hackman is the ultimate broken patriarch in a, in a career in cinema that is almost entirely built around the idea of broken patriarchs. What about? What about what? What about Bob? <laughs> Are you just, I just said Bill Murray's I'm doing what the, what the people at, that, at the Golden Globes party we went to did to me about three billboards, which was they just kept saying... Naming what, scene. What about this scene? I, <laughs> it wasn't this scene good for you? That was one of the what hardest over the Beatles, of my life, going to a Golden Globes party. You know, and, and your friend was great, and if she was listening to this, like, you were such a gracious host, and I really appreciate how you pulled out all the stops for a couple but of strangers. don't... But we just come done. for Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> in front of me. It was I'll be a, Lori Metcalf holding up. Not only stuff. was it a pro three billboards room, it was an anti-Lady Bird room mm-hmm. and especially an anti-Lori Metcalf room. Right. So just to keep in mind, I spent three and a half hours in that crucible. Clenching your teeth and your butthole? Well, I was... He was the butthole <laughs> from Annihilation. <laughs> the fiery butthole. I also was kind of the asshole at the party. Nice. Um, sorry. Losing uh-huh. my voice over here. Um, okay, do your ranking, and then we can discuss. And then let's actually talk about the films. Let's talk about the films uh, after I do my ranking. Uh, ben, we have a lot in common here. Uh, number eight is nice. Darjeeling. Number seven is Isle of Dogs. Number six is Rushmore. Number five is Royal Tenenbaums. Wow. Number four is Grand Budapest Hotel. It really shot up. It's still too low. Okay, it's thank still you. too low. Thank you very much. And now entering my five-star <clears throat> films, Moonrise Kingdom at three, Life Aquatic 
at two and Fantastic Mr. Fox at one. My Life Aquatic rewatch was life changing. It is a <laughs> it was a big deal for me too. Sendent. I forgot they play a fucking Sigur Ross song mm-hmm. when they see the Jaguar shot. I yeah. was weeping. Is a crushing film. I agree. I also appreciate that it's the one of his... The blood that splashes up on the water on the lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of his loosest films, too, for a filmmaker who is accused of having too much control. Right. Life Aquatic is... It's one of his longest movies. It's one of his... And it's because it's his most slacker film. Mm-hmm. And that applies to the runtime, the pacing. The characters are not as sharply drawn. And I don't mean that as a... As mm. a I don't mean that as a... Hold on, Ben. Let me finish my point. Mm. <laughs> Let me finish my point. <laughs> Can oh. I just say? Let me finish my point. Uh, with Steve Zissou. Please. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Let me finish. Hmm. <laughs> what I mean by sharp is forced. And I love Wes Anderson, but a lot of times he not only telegraphs each character's idiosyncrasies, he literally writes a telegram and puts it on the screen. Right. And is like, this character likes onions. This character likes spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Like, I could actually give real examples, but that's where my mind went. Life Aquatic makes you wait to learn about its characters. Right. They're deep rots of the soul. Mm-hmm. They're lo- senses of longing. They're senses of failure. They're senses of loss. Like, um, Willem Dafoe's character in Life Aquatic, for uh, instance. Oh, yeah. So who good. is named... I don't remember. You can be you can be A Squad. I see this. <laughs> I've seen this movie like six times. I think it's... I don't know anyone's names other than <laughs> Steve D- Zissou. I think this is Wes Anderson, uh, the best score in a Wes Anderson movie. I think the sequence where they run through like the rundown, like the hotel. Yeah. In the it, it it I forgot about that scene. The rescue mission. The rescue mission is oh, so that's hilarious, thrilling, <laughs> and the <laughs> score <laughs> is so good. And it like I know we've already talked, maybe not on mic, but off mic, we've talked about how meta this movie is with mm-hmm. like Wes Anderson's so career or whatever, and the fact that uh, Steve Zissou's like they're listening they're watching a clip and they use a score and it's like yeah that's good and then the next sequence is is the film using that score yeah absolutely i mean the movie embraces its low fineness and that certainly translates to its score which sounds like it was made for cheap Mm -hmm. which i find very uh matches the characters rundown submarine quite well in the ship. Like, I love that everyone is past their prime in the life aquatic and they're struggling for relevance. It's one of the great broken marriages in the Wes Anderson catalog. Mm-hmm. It's a four and a half star film for me. Get off my back. I think it's basically a masterpiece. Five and a heart. Oh, and Kate Blanchett doesn't look like Kate Blanchett. The first time As I saw Winslet. the movie. What? Isn't her character's name Winslet? Oh my god, is it? I think no. so. How funny. That's not true. I think it doesn't look like Kate Blanchett. Yes, it does. I don't think it does. Hot off her Oscar win. For what? For the aviator as Catherine Hepburn, wearing right. the pants in the movie. All right, and she has red hair again. All right. And Owen I Wilson just feel like is she's very hot in this movie. Wow. <laughs> I enjoyed him. The name of the character is Jane Winslet. Oh, Richard. I T, not E T. E double T. They call her nice. Jane. Though. Jane Winslet Richardson. Jane. Jane, is Jane. that a comeback reference? Jane. I 
And I also, I know this is not the only movie that Angelica Houston is in of the Wes Anderson catalog, but yeah. just... Certainly a movie she's wasted in. She's just so fucking captivating. Yeah. Just as an actor. I know, I agree, but I... I she smokes in the submarine window. I, I prefer her in the Royal Tenenbaums because she's not an obstacle. She's a person. And it's actually something that I don't love about The Life Aquatic. It's not something I dislike about it. It's something where I feel like it could have been stronger. Angelica Houston's character is sidelined, which is fine, because she's estranged from her husband. Right. But the only thing we know about her is that she's estranged from her husband and tired of his antics. She has a full life. to fuck that and a, faggot. Yeah, but she has like a full life and a full set of fuck desires in the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> And, and, and to be fair, in Royal Tenenbaums, her, sexy her character is somewhat defined by her relationship to Danny really. Glover instead of um, Gene Hackman. But the character has more interests, more of a sense of interiority. I think... No, I agree. I think her, I'm probably she's reading better. more into it, but I just think because her performance is strong. It's so good. I mean, she's it's just such a good actor. I also think that she gives a vividly sketched, fully realized performance in the Darjeeling Limited, and she's mm-hmm. in, like, two scenes. Right. Oh, yeah. When she shows up in Darjeeling... When they mention the mom, I'm like, oh my god, it's Angelica. Academy Award winner Angelica Houston. Right. She's just a great actor. By the way, she's in Isle of Dogs as, like, mute pug or mute poodle or something or i saw it in the critics is that really yeah she oh. as like mute dog That's well, well then what does she do grown once i mean is it a little joke i don't know it might be it's just very cute that's cute i love I cute care. i so can we talk about now well we just talked about ben's favorite wes anderson movie now you want to talk about and yours. now i want to talk about mine Ooh, and mine no it, oh 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 no oh no i just made a big faux pas I want to talk about the Grand Budapest Hotel. But it's not your number it's one. It's my second favorite. So it's not your favorite. But Ben also loves Fantastic Mr. Fox. I do. All right, let's talk about Grand Budapest because I've really turned over a new leaf. I want to talk about Grand Budapest Hotel. stars. Which is <laughs> for me. Way too low. Way too low. Honestly, when I first saw it, it would have been like a three. That's four wild. Four I know. I was naive. I, I have. I know. I have a qualitative word that goes mm-hmm. with. The the stars and four is a great movie. Okay, that's fine. I am very. There's a heart. There was a heart. I am very here. I am very here for Wes Anderson deciding to tackle totalitarianism as a filmmaker and to talk about how the finer things in life are not just distractions from evil, but give our lives meaning, and that the world is ugly. And therefore, as humans, we have a duty to make it prettier. And as soon as we lose sight of that idea to bring beauty into our everyday lives, we are destined to live in cold, impersonal, 1980s Soviet hotels. I get all that. It is all about... And it is is about, that what The Monuments Men is about? I haven't seen The Monuments <laughs> Men, but fuck you for saying that, Ben. Like, a real, just like a real hearty sting of a fuck you that I am with my tennis racket in a very Wes Anderson uniform volleying towards your face. But it's about how, ultimately, the Grand Budapest Hotel is about escaping from the evils of... Not just like reality, but like a political reality. The fact that we, and, and, and this is talked about in Isle of Dogs too, like we take for granted like the cycle of life. Like all it takes is like one evil pine cone to get stuck in the, in the grates and then we're all fucked. Grand Budapest Hotel is about how the tools of escapism are found smack dab in the middle of a Mendel's cake. 
quite literally in the film. And for these reasons, I think it's his purest distillation of what he does stylistically as a filmmaker. It's his Which most, is that he talks yeah. about sad things, but whether it's he's talking about relationships in dysfunction, humans in crisis, countries and governments collapsing, and then manages to paint it up in a way that says the only, like, there is value in beauty as a society. That's basically what his style is to me. And that's, and Isle of Dogs is like slightly different actually. But Grand Budapest Hotel leading up to that point in his career was like the ultimate distillation of that ethos as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, he has never engaged the frame in a more compelling way, left, right, and complete depth. It is a visually extravagant and meticulously designed movie where no nothing feels out of place. And Ray Fiennes gives the sex symbol performance of the last 10 years. And that's <laughs> what I have to say. <laughs> yes! What's, what's so that's fascinating crazy. about Grand what? Budapest? I go to bed with all of my friends! What's so fascinating about Grand Budapest is that this comes off the heels of Moonrise Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, which was, like, acclaimed, mm-hmm. but, you know, well, people were kind of whatever. Um... But then he doubles down and delivers the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie in existence and just in existence and is just like, this is this is what I do and I'm fucking good at it. Right. And then he gets nominated for seven, what, six, seven a Academy lot, A lot awards. of Oscars. Yeah. I would say. Including Best Picture. Like I said and best director, of uh, his first Fire Walk nomination. With Me when I first saw Fire Walk With Me. I don't know if this is the best, but it is definitely the most. Mm. David Lynch. Mm. And Grand Budapest is definitely the most Wes Anderson. I just think that there are other movies that are about more for me, that the ideas behind them are stronger and better executed for what he's trying to do in those movies. Mm. The interesting thing about Grand Budapest is the first time I saw it, I didn't get any of what you just said about, like, totalitarianism. I can't talk right now. It's about the rise of the Nazi party. Right, right, right. And, like, how you need beauty in life, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get any of that, but the second time I saw it, I got all of that, but it... I love it the second time I saw it. I really did. Um, But even, even then, like themes resonated more in his other movies for me. Mm-hmm. But I but I saw it all. I got it all. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying like Grand Budapest I got it. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> to Amy quote Amy Tobin. But like Moonrise Kingdom, I mean I'm a sucker for coming of age. Mm-hmm. Steve yeah. Zissou. Well, I'm, I'll no. say this linking it to Moonrise Kingdom. I think Moonrise Kingdom is one of his best examples of an underlying melancholy and sadness behind yeah. all the visual resplendency. Specifically in this generational divide between the kids who are full of youth and, obviously, optimism, hope, and then the adult characters, specifically Francis McDormand and Bruce Willis's relationship, and then Bill Murray on the sidelines, this sense of a life lost, that, that they, they don't know how they ended up here in this failing marriage on this island where they can't help but chain smoke and get drunk on red wine and chop down trees in the middle of the night because it's the only thing that gives their life meaning. Like, complete, living completely worthless lives, like, scrambling. And in their heads, they're worthless. Like, scrambling to find some meaning. Whereas the kids are like, oh, no, like, I can find purpose. I can find hope. And it's through love, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and that divide, like, that discordancy between the generations is so poignantly melancholy to me yeah that resonates harder for me than but, the themes and but budapest. the thing about grand budapest is it's about similar things it's just not telling it through an affair between a sad sack police chief and a woman in an unhappy marriage right. uh, with a megaphone 
and two kids who run away <laughs> to be in love together. It's about uh, it's about Monsieur Gustave who is clinging to this idea of humans are good. We can be we can be good. We can spread good, and we can treat each other with civility, and we can be the best possible versions of ourselves we can be. We can put on the and which is Wes Anderson. It's like we're not just going to put on a school play. We're going to have explosions. We're going to have beautiful sets. Like it's going to be so. It's not going to be lifelike. It's going to be fantastic, mm-hmm. and that's Gustav in Grand Budapest Hotel, who eventually meets his demise at a firing squad because he stands up for an immigrant. Right, like it. He he ties it into a into a real life history into a sense of a sense that goes beyond the personal and then becomes the universal. Not in like a specificity breeds universality way, but like in a as a global society, the only way that we are going to beat back the hate is by spreading love. Mm-hmm. And that to me, like as as much as I love what I just said about Moonrise Kingdom, I just don't think you can beat that because he pulls it off. He ex- it's so flawlessly executed. See, I but, don't think it is. Right, I know you don't. But like as both as like a genre, like an adventure globe globe trotting film and as this treatise on a global society in mm-hmm. decay. And I don't think it's a surprise that he makes that movie, like, right before he makes Isle of Dogs, which is also about a creeping sense of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. I think Wes Anderson is deeply disturbed by the world he sees around him, especially now. And in the Grand Budapest Hotel, I rewatched it um, on the day Trump was inaugurated, and it felt so fucking prescient to me. Um I, I think it's his best film. I, I Honestly, I, and I'm not saying that this is how you guys need to feel. It's like, in my opinion, mm-hmm. apart from Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is just so delightful on a level that I can't describe, and more personal, sure. Like, the Grand Budapest Hotel, I just don't ever see how Wes Anderson is going to top himself when it comes to articulating his themes and his message as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Cut all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I mean, it's objectively not objective yeah i guess objectively most people think it's his best movie well and they're wrong because fantastic mr fox is the best but i see i i get it again i i see it all and i see it's all right there like i understand why people think it's his best but for me it's just not (laughs) again to quote amy talbot you better not (laughs) i'm not gonna quote the same quote though (laughs) oh another quote if that's the movie you saw, then that's a great movie. <laughs> oh, man. We have to change the subject. Because I want um, to rebut, and I've just talked too long already. Um, but that's crazy. No, Grand Budapest, I... No, I think it's a great movie. It's a very, very... I love that movie. I saw it a second time, and I'm in love now. The thing is, like, I know what it's I just said was so pretentious and lofty, but, like, everything I said was right. Like, because well, that's what the movie's about. Like, I don't... It's so, like... He literally hides the tools for escape inside a beautiful adorned cake. Okay, like, I've, you said that already. <laughs> I know. No, I'm saying like that's like that is what the movie is about. Whether like it's right, I, and I, there are other things that could be cut. Oh yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> and that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I don't agree, but sure. Um, what I want to say about Grand Budapest, I like his use of it's a great movie. It's a great movie. I like his use of um, figurine fig- miniatures. Miniatures, thank mm-hmm. you. His use of miniatures. It's all him. It's it's him distilled into. I mean, most people think this. I don't think, but perfection. I mean, he is perfect. This is him perfecting his craft. And people who say, 
Isle of Dogs is his most political film, well, take a look at Grand Budapest. I, yeah, I think Grand Budapest is a stronger case because it is more specific. Yes, like, and it's more in his wheelhouse yeah. of what he should be talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially that. But let's talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox. Let's talk about Fantastic. Let's talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox. The performances that George Clooney and Meryl, and Meryl Streep give are shockingly i mean not shocking that's the wrong word they're just astounding mm-hmm. i mean you know they're great they're they're them but like hypocritically so good. i'm bringing up oscar context this was the year that they were both nominated for up in the air and julie and julia mm-hmm. and i think fantastic mr fox is both one of the stronger cases you can make for voice acting deserving a nomination and the strongest example for an argument for double nominations like Share the nomination, sure, but yeah. but give it did for it, both films. Did it not win animated because because ups? Oh fuck up! Ups up is good, but up is a very good movie. It's very up, good, but people were like best thing ever ups, when it came out. First ten Have minutes. Have you seen the first ten minutes? Ups first ten minutes are a masterpiece. The rest of the movie is pretty good. I agree. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Monsieur Gustave. So that so that evens it out to a very good movie because the first ten minutes are a mess. Fantastic Mr. Fox got the score nomination. I think it also should have gotten production design. Also should have gotten adapted screenplay. I... Obviously should have gotten best picture. Yes, I agree. I, I watched agree. this on a plane, and <laughs> and for the entire weekend. <laughs> That's my imitation. <laughs> <laughs> my entire the costumes are. So Sorry, much I'm just talking over you. It's fine. I the entire weekend. Um, oh, the the the. I've the never kids, apologized for talking over the kids, you. The you're kids, you're still talking over him. I know. Buns, buns and beans. <laughs> what that? What shot? What mean? Stuck in my head all fucking weekend. What is it? Bots, buns and beans. Bogus buns and bean. What shot? What that? What mean? They rhyme crooks and uh, crooks. I love the wife. The wife of the no, main the blind evil. wife. Two's plenty. <laughs> My, I love the rat. I love the score. By the way, you, we actually are allowed to interrupt each other in this segment, but I'll show you how. If someone wants to start talking, I'm going to interrupt you. Just start talking, and I'll show you the only way to acceptably interrupt in the Fantastic so Mr. Fantastic Fox portion. Fantastic Mr. Fox is my <laughs> I favorite. guess my I guess mine got lost in the mail. <laughs> oh, but seriously, folks. <laughs> Wait, what's that from? It's when Badger is giving a toast, and he's like, I've been trying to get all of you to come oh, over to the yeah. mill forever. And then Mr. Fox in there goes, oh, yeah. I guess my invitation got lost in the mail. <laughs> oh, but seriously, folks. And then I... he gives a speech. <laughs> I like Fox's grin in the movie. Well, that and his like big ass grin when he's like when, he, when, when, when he's not happy, smiling like a fox. He's like, "I'm pregnant." Oh, <laughs> glowing. You're practically glowing. And then she's actually glowing. I and then and then they're both glowing. Yeah, glowing light fixtures. They're like fucking um, the Virgin Mary in a front yard at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Like there's a light on the inside. Yeah, they're like plastic. Yeah, yeah they're little plastic. Yeah, Virgin Mary's in the front lawn. I love that. The scene that fucks me I up. I love that. I love that. The scene that fucks me up is the wolf scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. The the solidarity fist. Yeah. I mean, this movie is about, and I guess why I like it more than Green Budapest Hotel is it's not as succinct and clean in his themes the as that. 
It is well. That's part of it. I mean, a solidarity fist is just gonna get my jimmies mm-hmm. rustled. Russell, you're gonna get rustled. But I mean, more importantly, like my blood pressure is just gonna be like off the charts. I love that aspect of the film because it's about conquering your fears mm-hmm. and also like owning of being a journalist. What <laughs> being a journalist? Oh. <laughs> I don't even think anyone reads my... Do your friends ever talk about my column? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, the other day, um, Badger, Badger's ex-wife was saying, he's I really should read Fox's column. And then he's just like, I'm going to be a writer. It's well, like, okay. so much of the movie, it's like, he knows that, like, what he... His skills on... He was put on this earth with certain skills, and one of those skills is that he's a really great thief. He's a really good chicken thief. Mm-hmm. And yet... If he's going to pursue, if he's going to lean totally into that aspect of himself, he's going to fuck up his family and kill everyone he cares about. So it's, it's all about, like, recognizing it's it's similar to Wrinkle in Time and that, like, your faults oh, are your strengths. Your but faults are your stars. <laughs> that's the Love, Simon episode, Benjamin. <laughs> the film we did. We the removed as homework discuss. because no one cared enough. <laughs> ben. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Thing. Anyway, um, it's about a lot of things, and my train of thought was halted. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Fucks me, dig. fucks me right up. It's su- it's such a joyful movie. I like when but they also dance. Deeply sad. Mm-hmm. Like the moment when Meryl Streep's like, "We're all gonna die." Well, for the me, the scene where there are silhouettes against the oh god, the sewer I mean, or whatever for, the fuck. Yeah, for the waterfall. For me, it's, when she's like. You're about to say what I was going to say. Oh, am I? Well, just go ahead and say it and I'll co-sign if need be. When she's like, they're going to kill the kids. And she's and he's like, well, that would mean that I'm dead. And she's like, well, yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've killed the she's kids. Just like, are, she's just like, she's just like, cuts to the core. I mean, that's your like, John Dealman. Cuts them down to size. There's your balance. There's your balance. I like when, when, um, when Mr. Fox says, I love you, Felicity. And she says, I love you too. But I shouldn't have married you. Yes. Uh, that fucks me up. Mm, mm. All of what what fucks me up is that all of her perfect landscapes of weather and chaos with lightning striking the, the ground. I love when we see her paint painting. Painting it. We see her mixing the paint on the palette and then yeah. she draws the lightning so perfectly. Someone painted stroke. that. <laughs> That's real. That exists. Mm-hmm. Really? Arcade Fire, we exist. Well, yeah, it's like it's all practical, it's all real right. miniatures. So the scene when when um, when Bean like reaches into the hole where their house once was and pulls up like this really tiny little painting. Mm-hmm. That means they had to make an even tinier one. Yeah, no, yeah. but but it's like the painting actually like seeing a human like a fake human like pick it up reminds you that like no 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 like that's a someone real thing like it. that's an object that someone painted mm-hmm. and some of those really big paintings especially and of course it's all like perspective um like it's a small camera but um or you know what i mean by that but still someone painted that I we're, love we're that. reaching the point of the podcast where i'm just like a little i'm fading a little loose personally loosey goosey yeah. no well, i i can i, I want to keep talking i'm just saying like i'm not going to be as sharp Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Well, let's, you know, okay, we talked about Fantastic Mr. Fox, which we all love. We talked a little bit about oh, Moonrise Kingdom. I love when they dance. And I, and oh, I, at the end of yeah. the supermarket? Well, not just that. When beep, beep, Oh, my beep. God. When One of my favorite jokes in this is um, revolves around Petey, who is Bean's, like, personal assistant. Mm. And we we meet Petey. Uh, we, we finally meet Petey after a number of times when Bean is, like, barking on the phone, like, Petey, can we get, like, three tractors, like, two shovels? Like, he says this, like, a number of times. He's, like, barking at Petey to, like, bring shit so they can kill the fox. And then we meet Petey, who's played by Jarvis Cocker, when he's like singing his song, like on oh, the guitar, shit, that's right. And on that montage, it's like, like, "What are you singing?" Well, yes, but but like over the song, we cut to all the animals like breaking into all the farms, and oh, then yeah. every time they like grab their stuff, and there's a brief pause, and then they just start like dancing, yeah. and like all their limbs are flailing. But yeah, and then and then you wrote a bad you wrote song. a bad song, PD, and he flicks his cigarette. He, he flicks his cigarette at him, and then <laughs> and then the next time we see him. Uh, it's after I think after he finds out that they've stolen everything, um, and he's like already on the phone. He's like, "All right, thanks, Petey," and then hangs it up. Like I just, I just makes me laugh. It makes just me makes laugh. me laugh. Petey makes me laugh. Um, we haven't talked about Royal Tenenbaums. Honestly, I saw that movie for the first time recently, and I don't have much to say beyond Hackman. Wow, <laughs> wow. Darjeeling Limited. Is anyone fresh on that movie? No. No, I don't want to talk about that. Well, the thing about Darjeeling Limited. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we brought this up before, but it also is problematic in its own ways, but it sort of navigates it because you're viewing white privileged characters interacting with India in a way where they think they're going to be enlightened from it. So in that regard, it's a little less problematic. Their privilege is almost literally checked when you consider all their luggage. They like are curbs uh, curb checking their privilege. Yeah, and like the the scene where they're flipping their luggage and they're just dropping all their luggage and it's all slow motion and super Wes Anderson right. and it's and, like and it's like and they don't keep any of their luggage. No, it's like it's sort of like a where's it all going? It's sort of like a do- yeah, it's like donate that shit. It's like when like I said when Anastasia Steele like rips up her twelve thousand dollar check <gasps> and doesn't donate it to the Southern Poverty Law Center. That is white feminism. And it's the same thing with the suitcases, oh. but it's also like Darjeeling Limited checks its privilege but like doesn't do much <laughs> like without it yeah like when they chuck the luggage it's like okay i get that visually that they've learned to let go of the materialistic things that they're attaching their senses of self to but like okay like that's not very that's not quite substantial i was surprised how much i enjoyed the owen wilson character wow oh wow no that's another uh, great broken character in the wes anderson canon oh and the thing last thing i want to say about fantastic mr fox was it's also Wes dealing with daddy issues because of this little yeah. kid. Mr. Fox is a terrible father. Yeah. Yes. And he learns to be better. Yes. He does. Put on your bandit cap. Put on this bandit cap. Okay. And I love when it says, like, take off that sock bandit hat. And then he gives him, he gives Ash the real one. The with real the stars bandit on it. cap. I find Ash to be such a moving character. Mm-hmm. His too. frustrations of not only wanting to impress his father, but wanting to be someone he's not. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he ends up being of great help and of great service because he realizes that like his lack of athleticism is really what his ultimate strength is. Right. Your weaknesses wow. are your strengths. The whack bad. The faults in his stars. The faults in his stars. All right, Ben. Are we done? Um. Are you done? I'm done. Ben, <laughs> ben <laughs> I, you are so tired. I am. And put us to bed. And and here's the thing. I honestly, if I may. 
be so blunt? I feel like Brandon and I could probably keep talking about this. Nah, I'm done. (laughs) For the point, Brandon, I'm trying to say something sweet. (laughs) But it wouldn't be the podcast without all three of us. People aren't tuning in just to hear Brandon and me, or you and Brandon, or you and I. I, I can't remember the right way to say it grammatically, so you I'm covering all my bases. No, you and that I. Was not right. <laughs> you you <laughs> and I. What song was I singing? Nebraska! You and I. Nebraska! You and I, country mix edition. <laughs> anyway. Deep cut. We don't. We shouldn't keep talking if everyone doesn't want to talk. And I don't say that in like a how dare you not want to talk. I say it in a. We are our own makeshift family here at Ben's kitchen table. Aw. And if I we think I am fighting an illness. That might that may be. Because I'm usually not this tired. As well, maybe nine o'clock. Please get me ill. <laughs> Breathe into me. Oh. <laughs> oh fuck. I'll press my metal body against you <laughs> as you try to leave. If you just keep repeating, I'm a bear in my general bear. direction. Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> we are all one Hello. we are all the earth we are <laughs> brandon is doing some wind dancing right now i, I love, love that wes anderson uses the depths of his frames with shoots and ladders non-stop kineticism the depth of field in fantastic mr fox is better than i love dogs there's a mo- i agree with you i agree Ooh, with you correct and i was i was i was i was exciting. gonna say that too yes it's more orson wellesley which i'm into I, I agree with that. You've been very into it recently. I have. But I I was going to say that in Isle of Dogs, and then I, I, I had this whole, as often happens, I think I have an argument that I'm going to make on the podcast, and then it never comes up. But the scene when Atari throws the rubber piece of piping mm-hmm. off into the distance, mm-hmm. like that should not be a surprising moment as a film goer to be like, oh, he threw a thing not from left to right, but it went back in the frame uh-huh. and we saw it. Like yeah. there's a whole world here. Right. And then I was going to talk about how like great that is in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like our character introductions are, we watch characters approach and the camera like meets them in really exciting ways. Yeah. The camera work. I mean, something I love that Wes Anderson does a lot, especially in Fantastic Mr. Fox, is there's like face, 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 face. And yeah. Like everyone is still in focus, but like there's someone in front, like facing this way. That's Orson Welles right there. It is Orson Welles. And you get yeah. a, honestly, you get a little too much of that in I Love Dogs, I think. With yeah. The, the t- but what That's I don't. There's fair. a dog right here. Yeah. And then there's something and, happening and by, over there. And by right here, Ben means like in the forefront of the frame, mm-hmm. in and, the left side or something. Yeah. But again, I love the negative space in I Love Dogs. I love the tableaus in Isle of Dogs. Like, you really feel some of the Kurosawa influence there. Mm-hmm. And I love the shot in Isle of Dogs where Chief is outside of the rainbow sake hut and you see the moonlight against his black mm-hmm. coat. Like, there are just some really striking frames in that film. Yeah. I still think that Phantasm Mr. Fox is much more visually accomplished. I think that I think that it deals, it trades in shades of orange and yellow and red mm-hmm. in ways that are deeply affecting and I mean, I'm just like talking nonsense now, but we all are. It, in a way, in a way, it's harder. It's harder to build a um, like a palette with like three main colors mm-hmm. and then explore 100 different shades of it right. than an Isle of Dogs, which basically has every color in the rainbow. Yeah, and that's striking in its own way, and that's to be lauded for sure. But Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, has the most nuanced color palette mm-hmm. of any of his films, and I would put Life Aquatic second okay. on that. Really. Above yes. Grand Budapest? Just accept it. Yeah. No, I Just would. take it. <laughs> anyway, and then Grand Budapest is three with his pinks and purples. And 
in, the oranges in the 70s. Anyway, yeah. Like, disgusting, like... Burnt orange. Monochromatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Burnt, that's a good word for it. Burnt orange. That's a color. Yeah. A burnt amber sierra. Okay. Okay. Right. Oh, my All God. Right. Jesus. It wouldn't be this podcast without mentioning Saoirse Ronan's existence. And uh, I know. Hotel. We haven't dropped her name. I came very close to putting on Brooklyn as soon as I finished the Grand Budapest Hotel instead of watching Fantastic Mr. Fox. What score are you singing? Boom. 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 Buns, buns, and bang. <laughs> Uh, I think we've all sufficiently lost our minds. We're <laughs> just singing. What the fuck are you whistling? Kirby enthusiasm. Oh, what the hell? All right, close this out. All right, this has been Movies IMO. I'm incredibly tired. My name is Ben MP. You can find me on Twitter at Real Tuddies. Did you change your handle? No, I just got. I almost said Movies IMO, but I'm going to do that at the end. You're doing at the end. what I was going to say. All right, my name is Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at movies imo i mean at daniel crook with three o's and as that flub that slip up just illustrated i survive on a diet based purely on alcoholic cider nice nice i'm brandon kirby you can find me on twitter at bk kirby please follow subscribe rate slap us five give us a five and heart just like (laughs) we give the life of Aquatic of Steve Zissou. Except for Daniel. And some of us give the well, Grand look, Budapest Hotel. You can't give half stars on the iTunes store. So if I was to rate the Life Aquatic, I'd give, it, give five. it five. You round I'd up. round up. Fuck yeah. Nice. Um, well, you can find us on Twitter at MoviesIMO. And let's hope that in his next project, Wes Anderson stays a little closer in his lane. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, starring our Lord and Savior Queen Elizabeth II. Um, Someone all... make a quip to close us out on. Quick! Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 well, 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 folks. Oh, this is not a quip, but this is the end of the podcast. Great. You can't spell Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums without Jesus Christ family. Without fun. (laughs) I was going to say, I was going to try and do like a homophone thing with Anderson and Amberson. Might as well call him Wes Amberson because without the magnificent Ambersons, you don't have the Royal Tenenbaums. Plug for the American Cinematheque, which did a double feature. Remember, $20. Remember, folks, put what I just said aside five stars. Five fucking stars. Wow. For who? For the podcast. Podcast. Oh! For us. And remember, Daniel said that I'm right. Okay, goodbye. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.